Welcome to NCBA's Cattleman's Call podcast with host Lane Nordland. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to NCBA's Cattleman's Call podcast. Lane Nordland joining you here today, and this conversation is coming all the way from our nation's capital in Washington, D.C., and uh, this is actually the conclusion of the 2019 Young Cattlemen's Conference. And for our listeners out there that have been on Young Cattlemen's Conference, you may know that it's a long 10 days, but there's a lot of education that comes with it, and it's been described as a marathon. So you need to pace yourself with all the education and opportunities that you gain along the way. And we have three outstanding producers joining us here today. All the way from Wyoming, Kayla Mills joins us. Kentucky's Andy Bishop and Montana's very own from the High Line, right by Highway 2, Chisholm Christensen, and also in the wings of this conversation, Mr. John Robinson, the Vice President of Membership and Communications for the NCBA. And Kayla, we are actually, uh, we're in the bar, we can say that. It's the only quiet place we, we, we found, but Kayla, what's it been like getting some time away from your operation, leaving the Cowboys State and, and meeting all these different people? What's it been like? It's an amazing opportunity. I have never met so many leaders in our industry in one room in our younger generation. Um, I don't get away from the ranch a whole lot. I haven't seen the rest of the industry. Um, I, once you put them on the truck, I didn't know much else after that. I, it was really awesome to see how it went every, from plate, pasture to plate. So um, I've really enjoyed the whole thing. So, Kayla, tell us a little bit about your operation. Your family's very involved in Wyoming agriculture. Uh, let's just talk about the multi-generational oper- uh, operations you've been a part of and uh, the importance of coming on trips like this. I'm a fifth-generation cattle rancher in Wyoming. Um, of course, the ranch wasn't big enough for all of us kids to stay. Uh, I started out four years ago, my husband and I, we actually had bought a fencing company and had to make money somehow. That's what my dad does. And I wanted to get back into the ranching, so we found a place we could lease. Um, started out with a small herd, and right now we've we've actually been fairly progressive with our herd, up to now 150 head of cows. So it's been amazing. I'd, I wouldn't want to raise my kids any other way. You know, and that, I think that's a theme that so many of us have. That's a theme that I have, my wife and I. We live in Bozeman, Montana, and all of our families are involved in agriculture, but I'm not going to raise kids in Bozeman. Not that it's a bad place. I just want them to be around their grandparents, be around dirt and cows, and, and learn how to work hard. And uh, I, I think that's what gets so inspirational and motivation-driven uh, mindsets when we're at events like Young Cattlemen's Conference because there's so many opportunities to see a bright future in the livestock industry. And uh, we're going to jump over to Andy Bishop here. Andy, this is your second Young Cattlemen's Conference. Yes, Uh, it is. You went last year? Yes, I did. And then you were chosen as the 2018 uh, representative to lead the 2019 class as the chairman of Young Cattlemen's Conference. You've gone on it two years, you know, what, what are some of those things you've taken back to your operation in Kentucky? And tell us a little bit about that operation. You know, the, the uh, I, I guess the amazing thing about this trip is the diversity of, of all the producers on the operation. And so being from central Kentucky on a small cow-calf producer operation, uh, it's nice to get out and see 
how the producers do this across the country and how every one of us are so very different, but we can take something small from each segment of the operation home to our operation to make it better. And uh, I, I hope that that makes my operation a little more progressive moving forward. And uh, I've got to do this twice now. And so um, the family that I've, I've built across the nation over a two-year period of time is paramount. And, and just the, the amount of influence that, that others have on me and any time that I need a question answered or I have a comment, um, there's always someone there to listen. And so it's, it's been a pretty awesome opportunity. Chisholm Christensen, you are a Hinsdale Raider. Is that your uh, mascot? That's correct. Chisholm and I uh, go way back, went to college together. We're in the Alpha Gamma Rho fraternity together there at Montana State University. Go Bobcats. But uh, Chisholm, you're a young producer, but you're very active in Montana. You're on the board of directors for the Montana Stock Growers as well. But, you know, going on this conference, uh, you know, what was in the back of your mind leaving the home operation uh, when, when you set out on this 10-day trip? Well, the first thing I thought was how can a cattle organization expect us to be gone for 10 days in spring? But uh, going on the trip, I've, I've found out that no matter when it is, it would be worth it. These are 10 days that uh, are once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. I'm very proud to have had the opportunity to come on it and uh, very happy that my family back home working on the place without me um, allowed me and saw the, saw the value in that as well. So let's just start from day one. You've traveled to the home base of NCBA near Denver, Colorado. You fly in most likely. What, uh, what was going through your minds? What, what was day one like when you and, what, 60, 70-plus other ranchers and industry leaders, what, what was that like for you all? You know, the, the first day flying into Denver, I didn't even know the other. There's two of us, actually, that were lucky enough to come, come from Montana. I think you talked to Jake Fettas, you know, in your last show. And just that, that, you know, these are these are more than 50 people that I don't know anything about. But what we found out really fast is we're all from the same industry, you know, spread over the whole span of it, but uh, that we're all here with a common goal and uh, some, some big picture problems, a lot of small, you know, to uh, certain area problems. But, man, we, we're in the same industry and we're on the same team. Kayla, what was it like going down there? What was your expectation when, when you met all these other producers that you – had no idea who they were at the start. I, I'm not going to lie. I was very nervous. How am I going to spend 10 days with 65 people that I don't know? I, I did know one person coming into it, and I thought, that's my safe zone. I'm going to stay with this one person. And within under an hour, I had met so many people that I was like, yes, I, I can do this. They are, like I said, amazing leaders, very kind, friendly people that... I don't think you'd find better people in the world. Yeah, you know, Lane, I think um, <clears throat> probably intimidation was the word for me. Uh, I was extremely intimidated coming onto this trip from Kentucky where small cow-calf operations, uh, 100 mama cows, and you're, you're on a trip with someone that has 5,000 mama cows. And, uh, and, you know, it's just when you come in intimidated like that, you, you expect that they're looking down on you. And what you realize soon is that we're all family. And uh, we're all in this together. And so whether you have 100 cows or whether you have 5,000, we still have the same end goal in mind, and that's to keep consumers happy. And, and uh, I think that's been, a, been something on this trip that's, uh, that's been good for everybody to understand is that no matter how big or how small you are, your opinion matters just as much. Uh, we're all from 
have very very different perspectives, but uh, each of us has a voice, you know, reflective of that perspective, and it's all valued, and we need to hear from from every everyone. Now, of course, the focus of this is first off a leadership experience, but to really look at that from pasture to plate, the the entire beef cycle uh, of uh, of our industry, you know, where it starts, where it ends. Because so many times I'm from more of a cow-calf background, like many people are in the northern plains in the, in the Pacific Northwest. And you really, for the most part, a lot of people have had that mindset that I really don't know what happens to my calves after they leave that operation. And we're seeing a change in that and more of, you know, following, doing a lot more uh, um, follow-up on, on those calves, of course, once they hit the feedlot and after. But for so many people that maybe are, are from the packing side, they don't know what it's like on the cow-calf side of things. But, uh, Kayla, what was it like really knowing that you're going to see all these different aspects? And it really start, starting in Denver, you got to see right from the get-go different aspects of the industry. It, it was honestly inspiring and made me want to work harder for the industry, and I want more of the producers to be able to see that. Um, it is such a huge opportunity to to see the feedlot i'd never been to a feedlot i'd been to a packing plant that was to me i think all producers need to be able to see and have gone be able to go on this trip at some point um it's yeah a bit, definitely an amazing eye-opening experience to see all of it and what was it like when you went into the ncba headquarters there H had you been there before i had not and did you know all that was a part of that? In, no, in not the at different all. departments and all, all that they provide the producers and their members? No, I had no idea the staff was that big and how many different aspects of the beef industry they're advocating for us. Um, they have a social media room that they're advocating for beef. Anything that comes across is beef. They're doing everything they can to promote the industry and try and for us, producers advocate for any of the negative media, and I didn't know any of that. That was pretty amazing. So, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, it's, it's like an entire room with screens where if something is tweeted with beef or fake meat or anything like that, it's pinged, correct? Yes. And then NCBA can look at that saying, this is an issue we need to address. This is something that impacts our members. How, how did that make you feel knowing that that little piece of information is there it it helps me feel more confident in the industry and more confident that ncba is um advocating for us in that way i i had no idea there was any technology even to do that and to see those four big screen tv screens that are constantly monitoring for that stuff that that gave me a real confidence yeah i think you'd kind of call them the beef cia uh <laughs> yeah. in the fact that they're they're watching consumers across the world and their reaction to beef and anything that comes out, they're heading those issues off. And it, that's uh, that's comforting to know that someone's always got your back and, and they're looking out for our best interest. They really are covering every portion of the industry in from Denver and also from D.C. And I, I feel like I have a pretty good understanding being on the board in Montana and, as, as most people do, a better understanding of their state. But on the national level, NCBA is working for the producer, the packer, I mean, just, and, and with the end in mind. We have to look first, we have to look at it from the end to the beginning, because if we don't have anybody to buy the beef that we create, 
we just have a lot of pets and uh there's a, a freezer in between there and and feed lots and they're all important now now chisholm as a young person you know going back to the operation why was it important for you to see every aspect of the industry on this trip well for for perspective i would say you know i it's very it's very easy to be isolated in our business You've got uh, maybe your closest neighbor isn't even, you know, a few, maybe five miles away. And uh, so it, it's very easy to be isolated. And if we take that mindset of isolation and we don't get involved and we're not at the table, then the people here in D.C. and the people, you know, at the top in each of our states are going to eat us. So we just have to be, uh, be pr productive. Now, again, I keep referencing this is a 10-day trip. And... It's so hard to, to actually think about. Actually, you have the agenda there. That's good, uh, Chisholm. But w when we actually look at that 10 days, it goes over just like that. Because I saw you guys left on last Tuesday or Wednesday is when this all started. And when I went in 2016, I blinked and we were in D.C. and I was flying home. And so there's so much jam-packed into these 10 days. But uh, can we just do a quick run through and then we can get more into into the meat of every single one of these opportunities. But what we started with in Denver, you know, seeing the seeing the advocacy side, the policy side in the Denver office, then going to the feedlots and then to Chicago, then to D.C. Just walk our, our listeners through that that haven't heard about YCC before just to give them that glimpse of, yeah, we say from pasture to plate. But but what does that really mean? Yeah. And, and Lane, I would say we went on this trip from pasture to plate. To policy and we did that Denver Chicago Washington DC and uh, in Denver I guess we uh, we started at the NCBA headquarters there uh, a whole bunch of people that have never met maybe maybe don't even know anyone else in the room and that that was eye-opening and a little bit scary I guess in a lot of ways for a lot of people but uh, in Denver uh, cattle facts also in that office that was really interesting to see the marketing side of it and uh, the reporting of, of prices and how that works. Uh, that same day, Safeway, Cargill, uh, got a retailer perspective of the business. That was interesting. I go into a grocery store as a customer. I don't get the perspective of the, the higher ups that we got to listen to that day. Um, You've probably never bought beef in a grocery store either, have you? I don't know that I have. <laughs> I haven't. But uh, And then uh, the next day, we actually ventured over to Greeley, um, the JBS uh, Greeley beef plant there visited a harvest facility got to tour that it was very interesting to see I've, I've never been a part of that I knew it happened but to see it close up and see the safety that goes into creating our product they're 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 doing a great job and uh, I would say the next stop uh, was the feed yard at uh, Five Rivers Five Rivers feed lard uh, they're feeding a lot more than a ton of cattle there so uh, that was really interesting to see and uh, finished off that day at Greeley Hatworks which was pretty fun too a custom hat place there out of out of Greeley Colorado that that did us a solid made us a good good meal and well Trent and his crew keep cattlemen looking good all the time a little shout out to Greeley Hatworks there for Trent uh, the next day uh, that would have been I think we Saturday in uh, in Denver again and we had some media and advocacy training there at the headquarters. Uh, Cordeva gave a Corteva rather gave a presentation. Uh, Brant Metler joined us on our our trip. Pasture and land management specialist. He gave us a great overview of some of the products that they're using that can help us do better in creating a better product for the consumer. 
Uh, we also did a, an overview of beef cuts. A lot of uh, people, even ranchers that are making this stuff, don't know what goes into cutting up a cow. And uh, those, those good cuts that NCBA and uh, through, through your beef checkoff have created, some added value cuts, and uh, the beef, it's what's for, for dinner uh, tagline. So uh, we also toured the culinary center there at NCBA. Uh, some of you may have seen that. They do a lot of, sh a lot of video there for uh, all cookbooks and, you know, just different uh, things there, I guess. Um, you know, one thing, Chisholm, I took away from, from the Denver visit is the firewall that exists between checkoff and, and the policy side, and it's evident there as you go through the Denver office and see what those folks are doing to, uh, to ensure that the checkoff dollars are spent responsibly. Um, that they're getting the best bang for their buck. Uh, and I know many producers often think that we should be doing more uh, TV advertising, for example, which has gotten so expensive that maybe that's not the best value that we have to reach consumers. And uh, so they're working very diligently to make sure that we're spending those checkoff dollars wisely so that we can ensure that that $11 return on investment for every dollar spent in the checkoff continues to grow. So, Andy, wh where did you learn? Where are those key markets that the uh, that beef councils and the checkoff are utilizing to reach the, the consumers that uh, we're, we're really trying to influence to eat the greatest protein on earth? Yeah, you know, um, one is, is, is focusing on the consumers that are, that are buying our product that may not know about how our beef is raised and, and telling that story, but also focusing on areas of the country where m those consumers are most prevalent the Northeast, the Chicago's of the world, even uh, even maybe in some larger cities in Montana. You would think Montana, everyone knows about cattle and how they're raised, but what you understand is probably not in the big cities in Montana, just like they are in Kentucky. If you go to Louisville, no one no one understands where their beef comes from, and so that that's really important we tell that story. Advertising has got so individualized, Lane. You know, your smartphone, your apps, the way that what you look at triggers the advertising that you receive and I know a lot of my my friends and family back home say well I don't see the beef it's what's for dinner slogan I don't see that on TV so what's my checkoff going to well we don't actually have to advertise to you that much you're already using our product our our money is better utilized in those other markets that Andy's talking about and on cell phones that are maybe from somebody in New York more than somebody in Montana or Wyoming or Kansas and there's the things that they do on like short videos on Facebook, 30 seconds or less, that get that those people's attention. Because we don't have a long attention span anymore with cell phones and all of that this day and age. They want it quick. And the other product that I really love, because um, I know I don't have one personally, is an Alexa or a Google. But all my friends do. And the Chuck Knows Beef. Chuck Knows Beef. Yes, that he's that's an amazing tool and I think that will get the word out there about beef more. Do you want to describe what Chuck Knows Beef is for our listeners out there that aren't aren't familiar with this new technology? Um, yes, it's on Amazon Alexa or Google or you can go to Beef It's What's for Dinner and you say Google play, or activate Chuck Knows Beef and you can ask Chuck any kind of questions like I want a fast recipe with ham with hamburger or I have a strip steak. What recipes can I? What can I do with it? Um, what can I? What kind of wines can I pair with it? And Chuck will give you an answer for it. Uh, and I would say that, that 
Chuck is Alexa's really good friend when it comes to culinary issues. That's right. But how does that make you feel as a producer that pays a checkoff uh, investment in the industry? How does that make you feel that that technology is there to help other consumers utilize the product you produce to its best ability? That makes me really excited. It. I didn't think that technology would ever be available, especially in that artificial intelligence. And to be able to have that in every home almost anymore is makes me very confident in the beef industry and the checkoff dollars being used to support us. And, and kind of focusing here on the Denver uh, aspect, you mentioned you went to Safeway, and that's a huge grocery store, absolutely huge. And they got a big beef section. What was it like going in there talking with those employees, with the buyers, with the marketers, but also with those consumers that are looking at, the, first off, the prices of the beef. I think that's number one thing that a lot of consumers look at. But then they look at the quality. They look at the, uh, so many different aspects of it. What, what was it like going into these stores? You know, I, th I think it's just eye-opening. And I often use the analogy that... In any segment of the industry or anything, consumers or producers, we're all like a bag of Skittles. And so we're all uniquely different and we're all looking for something different. And so when you go to Safeway, for example, you see that Safeway does a very good job of targeting what consumers want. They know what consumers want and they make sure it's available. And so it's our job also to understand what consumers want and to go back and do that. And that's what that checkoff allows us to do. And Safeway piggybacks on that and does a very good job at it. We have the best product. We have the best protein source. And I'm saying that from a part, you know, I'm a little bit partial, but I'm also saying that because you talked about price. We are the most expensive protein source, but we are also the best tasting, most nutritious protein source. And I think we found out in 2015 when prices did get high and that supply was short that people are willing to pay for that quality. And the increase in prime cuts that we've done as an inter industry has been great for that because we're providing that consumer with an experience, an eating experience better than those other proteins out there. And I think we can be really proud of that. Now, I think the most eye-opening experience I had on my tour with YCC was going through that JBS plant and, and seeing just how that animal is processed and how fast and how productive they are in processing those. Um, had you ever been, Kayla, in a plant like that before? I had. I'd been to a JBS down in Arizona. Well, shoot, I should ask Chisholm, right? I guess, that question. <laughs> uh, but uh, what's it like going in there knowing that you are a cow-calf producer and seeing that end product there? It, it, it's amazing. I, th they, we use the entire animal. That to me was what really stuck out the first time I'd ever went was stuff that America won't eat, we export. And that's, that was just shocking to me. Chisholm? I would say when I think of a plant, I think of Ford, GM, where you're, every person on the line is assembling, putting another you know, part on that car. And when you get to the end, you have a product. This is exactly the opposite. It is a disassembly line. That cow or steer or bull comes into the plant and it's a disassembled, you know, to, to our specifications all the way through. And it was interesting to see, very interesting. I, I think it was so weird seeing the cheek meat harvested in the tongues when, when I went through. Because you don't think about that. 
I mean, I harvested and, and cut up beef before too, so you, you've seen that, but you don't think of that end product that could be overseas. And then that comes back to our policy side to trade, and you see, yeah, it's more than just these prime cuts that we're serving here in steakhouses in Washington, D.C. It's the offal. It's the hooves. It's the tongues that you really don't think about. And it truly is an eye-opening experience. Absolutely. And the amount of value that that adds to that carcass is extremely important. $325 per animal is from exports. So we're in Denver. You got to go to the headquarters, learn about advocacy, the policy, everything that the staff provides. Um, Before we fly over to Chicago, is there anything else that you'd like to talk about from that Denver experience? You know, I, I think overall it's just uh, it's, it's very eye-opening for a lot of producers to see the boots on the ground in Denver uh, and the amount of people that are working for us. And, and I think that's probably the biggest takeaway from Denver. There's so many hands that go into making that machine run smoothly. And it is a well-oiled machine. And it does a great job of taking care of what we're doing on the farm level. And, and we don't have time to focus on uh, those items that the people in Denver are, are handling for us, and we often take that for granted. It's for me, it was how open and honest they were in showing us everything and willing to tell us everything that they do as a producer. That was, to me, pretty eye-opening. So you guys jumped on a Southwest flight to Chicago. We did. Uh, Lane Wheat was fast and furious, Chicago. I think we were there from uh, wheels down to wheels up. was about 28 hours. But, uh, man, it was a good stop, and I'm sure glad we fit that one in. So, of course, when you went there, McDonald's is one of the key stops there. But what were some of those other stops uh, that, that were included in that very yeah, so, fast uh, trip? So, Hillshire Farms, uh, which is a division of Tyson, uh, we spent some time there with a consumer panel, to be honest. Uh, they're consumer marketing folks that, that talk to us from a different standpoint of the beef industry, and that is targeting the consumer, not what Tyson does to, uh, to, to market beef, but what what Tyson does through Hillshire Farms and then our other labels that uh, reaches out to consumers. And I think most producers are, are kind of blind to that fact almost of, of what consumers are wanting. And Tyson made that very, very evident in, in their approach to marketing. And, and they know exactly what the consumer wants. And that's, that's, that's an eye-opening experience for me. McDonald's, they've changed campuses. They used to be further out in the suburbs on a beautiful campus, but now they're in downtown Chicago. What was it like going to the, the double arches, the golden arches, excuse me, and uh, seeing different aspects of how that Big Mac is made? It was eye-opening. I, uh, I, I had no idea so much when went in behind the scenes or how much product they move or just how huge. I mean, I know that there's McDonald's all over the country and all over the world, but... Uh, nothing could have prepared me for what, what that was behind the scenes look was and the marketing and management that goes into a company like that, selling a product. They saw more meat than anything in that store, more beef, and uh, it, was, it was cool to see. So you also got to make burgers as well in an assembly line, and I heard you didn't quite make par. I did not make par. Uh, my glove, I have big hands, and I, I would have got them sued, I guess, so... They fired me right away. <laughs> Kayla, what was it like going in, into those stores and 
seeing the research and all that goes into the food products that, of course, contain great beef. I hadn't thought about how big, like Chisholm said, that the industry is and how, like I said, there's McDonald's around the world. But I never realized the amount of beef. And I honestly, in my opinion, I probably thought going in there that chicken was probably what was the most sold. And they, beef is what's for dinner. <laughs> uh, what else uh, did you do in, in, in old Chi-Town? Did, did you go to the plant oh. where they make the, the patties? We That's went to OSI, yeah. yeah. Um, that was also eye-opening. They don't have any frozen storage there. Or they have frozen storage, but it doesn't stay there for long. It's not stored there. It go, comes in, they patty it, and it goes right back out. And that, that was both the fresh and frozen. the frozen patties. Mm-hmm. And uh, that fresh, those fresh patties, never frozen, that's all American beef. That can't, that, uh, if you're not freezing that beef, so if you order, I think it was uh, the quarter pounder, that's all American beef. So those Big Mac people out there, you might want to switch over. So with that, maybe describe to our listeners how that beef comes in, how it's processed, how it's froze, the, all, the, uh, all the safety networks that are in there in case there's any type of metal or anything. It, it's truly amazing to watch how this is made. Yeah, if you you know if you if you ever question the safeness of American beef, you just need to tour a facility such as that one, especially when you're dealing with a ground beef product. It comes in in containers in bulk, uh, and goes through multiple metal detectors, multiple testing uh, for E. coli or anything else that you may get into that beef. Um, they work really, really hard to make sure that that product is the safest, most reliable as possible, and the efficiency that they can do that with is just profound uh that's probably my biggest takeaway from from this from the safeguards that they have in place at somewhere like osi is just the amount of time and the amount of labor that they spend to make sure that that product is safe when it comes out of there lane one of the questions we used about everywhere we went was what is something that keeps you up at night and the people right before the consumer as a whole said safety and the health of the people consuming their product and then, in today's consumer world, they want to know the health and safety of the livestock as well. Correct. And they should. They should. You bet. And that goes back to, honestly, it goes back to the McDonald's conversation that we had about what consumers are asking for, and it's more about animal welfare. Sustainability was the big, the big key word there. And, uh, you know, obviously producers look at sustainability uh, kind of cross-eyed sometimes in, in thinking, well, we are the most sustainable people in the world, at least in our eyes, we take care of the environment. But um, what I found was McDonald's has began to help us tell our story and how we provide sustainable products in the future and moving forward. And I think that's another platform that we can utilize as producers. Back to the health and safety aspect uh, and food safety, on my side is to see that they have USDA people in there checking for the safety. And that's JBS as well as OSI. There's people in there every day checking that to make sure it's a safe product for our consumers. So from Chicago. Washington, D.C. The swamp. So it's quite a sight to see cowboys and cowgirls, and cowboy hats, and boots, in a large group going through airports, 
in sitting in one section together on a Southwest flight where, you know, everyone is just taking their naps and, you know, catching up on sleep. There, on there was no one taking a nap next to us, <laughs> so I'll, I'll tell you that, man. So you make your way to the nation's capital, which I think is one of the coolest scenes a person can see is cowboy boots and hats on Capitol Hill. So you came here, you've seen multiple aspects of the industry, from the feedlots, from the pasture, to the processing, to the McDonald's, to, to so many different aspects of learning so much about it. And, and you just, you know, pasture to plate to policy. That's the perfect way of putting that, Chisholm. What was it like landing in the nation's capital, your wheels on the ground, and you're learning about all that the NCBA office here in D.C. does on your behalf every single day that maybe you don't know about. What, what was it like coming here after all that knowledge you gained in a few short days? Well, it, it was eye-opening, again, I would say, because we just don't know. At home, we don't know what goes into making a law down here or the consequences that can, that can really have. I mean, one law up here trickles down to Hinsdale, Montana, you know, and uh, it was just... Uh, it was, it was great to see that the people here working in the in the Washington D.C. office have our you know, best interests at hand, and also because I can't be in Washington D.C. every time a bill comes up that I feel strongly about or want to you know give my opinion on, there's an industry leader, an industry organization that has my back and has the personnel and the funds to do what I want it to, and with my vote. And of course. The staff here in D.C. that is on the Hill every single day, uh, they're following the policy in the policy book that is sent by the state affiliates of NCBA. So they're representing the cow-cow producers in Montana, uh, the multiple cattle producers in different aspects of the industry in Kentucky, and, of course, the, the cow-cow producers, the feeders in Wyoming, and the back backgrounders. It's all the policy that's set. What, what were some of those policies that you maybe weren't familiar with? You know, we, we, we talk about trade. We talk about cattle prices. We talk about fake, fake meat. But what were some of those issues that you kind of had a aha moment thinking, huh, I, I didn't really think about that and how that impacts my aspect of the industry? Well, you know, like for us in, in Kentucky, the ELD, we, we were knowledgeable about the ELD and, and, uh, and the issues with that. But uh, to take it one step further and educating our congressmen and women about about how that impacts us in Kentucky when, when we have to ship cattle to the Midwest or even to Texas or, or, or Colorado for that matter. Um, it's more than more than the allowable ELD time period and so we can't get those cattle safely to where they need to go and offloading those cattle would be a animal welfare nightmare and, and also a uh, um, from a disease standpoint another nightmare so um, that's probably the biggest thing that I took away from that that whole conversation was they the people here in DC didn't understand that and, and allowing us to be able to tell that story sure sure help them understand as well that topic is huge in Montana uh, our ranch is 40 miles off the Canadian border up there and we we send cattle to Iowa so it, it was just uh, it was interesting to see the work that they've put into that the problems and the solutions that they've come up with Lane I've lost uh, loved ones on the road I have a family. I, I want to be safe when I travel on the road, and I want my neighbors to be safe traveling on the road. But I also have cattle, and I have to provide for that family that I want to keep safe. And we need to look at it from the different vantage points and come up with a solution that works. 
What were some of those other policies that uh, you learned about or expanded your knowledge and talking points on when you took it to your elected officials up on the hill? Mine was probably the trade. I mean, I knew about the LD logs and that kind of thing, but the the trade, I didn't realize how big of an impact it was with $325 per animal in trade. I didn't, I didn't realize it was that much just between Canada and Mexico. You know, I think uh, not really a, a topic for, for cattlemen, but something that, that I just touched on earlier today was the fact that most of the time as producers, we think that we don't have access to our congressmen and women. And uh, it's evident on the hill when you go to the hill in your boots and, and, and hats that they do lend an open ear and they're willing to listen and they're willing to learn. And we just have to make that effort to, to get our message across to them and, and to educate them about something that they probably don't know, just like they would educate us about a lot of things in policy that we wouldn't know. Um, and so it's very important to, uh, to realize that that they're just men and women like we are, and they're trying to keep people's best interest in mind, and, and that's what our goal is as well. So, so Andy, you have a little bit different perspective coming from a much larger state population-wise compared to Montana and Wyoming, where we only have three elected officials on the national scale total in both of our states each. Uh, how many of those offices were you able to reach, and uh, how maybe... You know, how do you communicate with those members of Congress that aren't really knowledgeable about your lifestyle in rural America? And uh, what have you taken away the last two years being on YCC as the chair this year again? What, what, what are those big takeaways? Yeah, so one was just uh, the access to, to our congressmen and women. I think we, we met with six yesterday out of the nine that we had available. Last year I met with eight out of the nine. And... Uh, just their openness uh, is kind of a testament to what our state staff is doing to keep to keep those uh, congressmen and women educated about the beef industry and, and that they have an open ear and they have our backs. Um, and this being able to sit down with them and, and have a one-on-one -on -one conversation and one that they're they're vested in, they actually really want to hear what you have to say uh, was pretty was something that was good for me to see uh, because most of the time when you talk to someone that's in a position like that that doesn't really know what you're talking about they they get a glazed look on their face or they're not really vested in what you're talking about and and we were fortunate enough to, that that our folks listened and asked questions and were engaged in our conversations there's a bug in dc that uh it would be pretty easy to catch i think it's it's a cool walking through those halls and seeing those people is uh and, and realizing that that is where it all stems from, that's where it all happens, is uh, there's, a, there's a lot of power streaming, streaming through those halls. The humidity is a different issue, though. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> I think it's time we need to take a quick commercial break and thank our sponsors uh, of the podcast. But when we come back, we'll, we'll do more of a recap of your whole experience, what you'd like to share with, though, you're with your family members that graciously... <laughs> let you learn more about your industry for the last 10 days, and maybe we'll, we'll uh, make a refill there at that long table with uh, bottles behind it. But uh, we're going to take a quick sponsor break, but we will be back with three outstanding members of the NCBA and state affiliates from the Young Cattlemen's Conference last day here in Washington, D.C. Don't go away, friends. We'll be right back. Run with us in the unstoppable John Deere Gator XUV 835. 
and be prepared to go the extra mile. Because when others take rain checks, we take the wheel. With factory-installed three-wide seating, heat, and AC, the XUV835 is our coolest, most comfortable Gator yet. Nothing runs like a deer. Run with us. Electric scooters. Those are the equine species here in Washington, D.C., we can say. Thank you for joining us. Lane Nordland here with NCBA's Cattleman Call. Of course, we are talking about the 2019 Young Cattlemen's Conference. Uh, we are in Washington, D.C. It's the last day of the 2019 e event. And uh, Chisholm Christensen from Montana joins us, Kayla Mills from Wyoming, and Andy Bishop from Kentucky. Andy, this is his second time coming on the trip. He is serving as chairman this year. But we say electric scooters. That's just a way that so many get around in Washington, D.C. these days. That's right, Lane. Uh, you know, I walked out of uh, you know our hotel here in Washington, D.C., and there's not a hitching post, but there is a bike rack, and on that bike rack, there are electric scooters, and uh, hats and boots work on them. So uh, we, we were able to get those, and we, we uh, formed a little outlaw group, and we toured the, toured the city here right, right, right when we right when we got in. I'm just really disappointed that because I didn't wear a cowboy hat, I was not allowed to be part of the regulators. Well, in Montana, we call them vigilantes, <laughs> 7777. But uh, Chisholm, I guess, uh, lacking a stampede string, did you feel confident that your hat would stay on? You know, you just got to pull it down tight. <laughs> Lane, you just, you just got to go for it. Uh, th those little buggers will do about 25 miles an hour, I think. And uh, we, we pushed them to it. We were running everywhere. Yeah, you can't mess with the governators on those. Against, uh, of course, a Chisholm is a is a heck of a bronc rider from back in the day as well. We don't know each other; we just met. <laughs> Let's get back to the meat of the issue here. See, this is what's so great about Young Cattlemen's Conferences: these connections you make over ten short, long, fast ten days. That's that's how you can describe it. And uh, it'll be a little bittersweet for for all of you here tonight as as you wrap up with our, with the finale banquet. And, all head home uh, to, to get chores done on the home place. But for our listeners out there, what would you, is the biggest takeaway you had over the last 10 days, whether it was in Denver, Chicago, Washington, or maybe it's those lifelong connections that you're going to use, whether it's meet, meeting a cattle buyer and marketing your cattle differently. What, what are those big takeaways, Kayla? Um, that's actually a big part of it for me was the networking was – how many amazing friends you can make in 10 short days uh, from across the nation. And for me, I part of it, too, was the marketing aspect of how can I market my cattle different. And I've met people from feed yards, you know, the online marketing and all of that. So it's been really great for me. Yeah, you know, we, we call them contacts and we say networking, but after 10 days of being put through the gauntlet no sleep everybody's you know running running close to empty and you're trying to drink from the fire hose that is this trip and uh you it, it allows for some pretty cool connections to be made on a on a very deep level and uh very fortunate yeah i think uh lifelong friends sums up sums up the trip uh just from last year's group uh, uh, i probably keep in touch with 30 people from across the u.s daily um, and there's not a state that I can go to that I don't feel comfortable. I have someone that I can call if I if I need something or, or 
or if I just need a place to stop. And uh, that, that's something that, that everyone on this trip will experience at some point. And then once you uh, leave the trip, you're a YCC alum. And so YCC alums all stick together across the country. And so um, it's just one big family. And uh, it, it's nice to know that you've got other cattlemen across the country that's, that have your back as well. John's been sitting here just smiling and agreeing with everything you're saying. Again, John Robinson, the Vice President of Membership and Communications for, for NCBA. And, John, you've been coordinating uh, this trip here for the last few years and just meeting some outstanding men and women and industry leaders uh, from across the board. And uh, it just makes your job so worthwhile and fulfilling to see the product of all these branches across the nation and just to know that they understand the entire industry and that they are a product of the livestock industry and everything it represents. Uh, Lane, you, you really hit the nail on the head. The, the opportunity to travel with these young leaders uh, uh, from across the industry, across every segment of the industry, it, it's it's inspiring. It's, it's one of the greatest things I get to do. I, I travel a lot in my job. I, I go to a lot of state meetings. I get to meet a lot of fantastic people and spend time in their operations. But you know, really, at the end of the day, NCBA and, and it's the sponsors of this program invest a lot in it, and, and that's because the answers for the future of our industry are going to come from this group. And, and I, I am confident after finishing with these 60 men and women that we've got a very bright future ahead of us. And the level of conversation that these folks had throughout the course of the last 10 days has been truly impressive to me. I, I told them when we wrapped up here that I'm, I'm very excited about the future of the beef industry because of, of these folks in the room. And uh, from your experience, you've met a lot of people through YCC, and they've really went through many leadership roles and opportunities with their state affiliates, with the national affiliates. Uh, this truly is a stepping stone to step into those leadership roles and be an advocate across the nation for the beef industry. Absolutely. You know, we start out uh, with, with this group and, and hope that they will go back to their states and, and be leaders if they haven't. Uh, for those that have and are ready to move on to the next level, we hope that these folks will look at NCBA, look at the things we're doing, bring the education that we've given them and, and look for a space where they can engage, look for a place where they can, you know, serve on a committee or, or be a committee chair, co-chair, uh, and eventually become leaders of NCBA. You know, we are uh, a grassroots-driven organization. All of our policy comes from our state affiliates. Um, so it's, it's crucial to us that we have people who understand that policy process and, and are actively engaged in, in how we advocate here in Washington, D.C., how we market uh, our product across the country. Without that, we're nowhere. And, and it's really important to NCBA and, and the leadership at NCBA that we continue to grow and, and provide opportunities for the next generation. So, so a question I have for this year's YCC participants, where, where do you see, see yourself growing, whether that's on the home place, you know, looking at some new innovative ways or the traditional ways of, of improving your natural resources, your herd, your bottom line, your family dynamics, and maybe where you see yourself maybe stepping up to advocate and be leaders. Uh, uh, Kayla, your, your mom is a, a past uh, president of the American National uh, Cattlewomen, Gwen Geis, uh, out of Wyoming. Uh, so you, you have role models. I do. I have some amazing role models. Um, that's how I got into, I'm actually... I just went out yesterday as the Wyoming president of the Cattle Women. Um, and I, I guess for me, I even, I saw so much growth in myself and other members this week. 
on their leadership, on their speaking ability. Um, and I want to get home and I, I want to get more of the younger generation involved. My generation, we need their voice. And this has gave me some tools to get to that. And I also would like to keep going and get more involved with my cattlemen's group. Um, the Wyoming Stock Growers is, which I'd like to thank them because they're the ones that sent me here. Um, and I appreciate everybody believing in me that I can be that leader for him and that voice. Well, I know Jim McGagna and his crew up there in Wyoming with the Wyoming Stock Growers are looking forward to you being a part of that and helping grow the industry there in the Cowboy State. Now, Chisholm, of course, you have family that have been leaders on the national level within CBA. You've stepped up uh, on the board, Montana Stock Growers, uh, the youngest person on the board uh, right now, I know. Uh, wh wh where do you see yourself growing uh, in the ranching industry and in leadership and advocacy? You know, Lane, I'm, a, I'm not much of a seed, but it would be hard not to grow with the, the quality of water that we've been watered with this last 10, 10 days. And uh, I hope to take home some added value and, uh, you know, some to, to gain some value to our, our you know, maybe pay my dad back for, for doing all the work these last 10 days on his own there. But, uh, and, and really, I guess my growth, I hope, will be in the NCBA organization because before this trip, uh, the state was about as high as I, I had looked. I hadn't, I hadn't lifted my gaze up as high as NCBA, and I didn't really understand what NCBA did. I was a, a guy that doesn't leave very Montana very often, and uh, I'm, I'm, after learning what NCBA does, I want to be a part of it. We're a membership organization, and membership organizations don't work without membership. And, and what year was Lynn Cornwell president? Lynn Cornwell must have been president about 95, I would say. I was young, but I remember. You want to talk about that relationship as well? You know, I, I will. Lynn and I, uh, Lynn... Lynn was like a grandpa to me, and uh, my mother was a Cornwell, and uh, we lost Lynn a lot too soon. The people that I run into here, the, the coming president, uh, told me some good stories about Lynn he, he, that happened in D.C. right here, and uh, I, he, he's a, a hero of mine, personal hero, and uh, I just... He'll, he, I don't think he'll be forgotten in this industry for a long time. No, he won't. I, I just wanted to bring that up in that relation. And, uh, of course, just so many uh, people he inspired and, of course, uh, helping advocate for, for, for the industry. Um, Andy, I mean, you, you have stepped up. You, you've served as chairman, which going on this trip two years in a row, it's hard on you. It's hard on your family. But uh, it, it's a growing experience, and it's a great opportunity. Absolutely. And, you know, just at the family level, uh, I've got four children and so hopefully can build something. I'm a first-generation farmer. Uh, we had a few small, a few cows, you know, growing up, but really a first-generation farmer to kind of take that to the next step. And I want to create something for my family that my kids can come back to if they choose. Um, but at the state and NCBA level, um, you know, I've felt the push and the need to, to want to step up and, and do my part for the last several years. I've been on the state executive committee going on six or seven years now and, and uh, recently joined uh, some of the committees at the NCBA level but uh, I feel that I want to want to grow that and want to, want to move up at NCBA if any opportunity arises. So if someone at home asks you about this trip or maybe uh, confronts, you, confronts you about some preconceived notions about uh, NCBA and, and its role in the cattle industry, 
How, how are you going to share that message? I would uh, politely ask them to stop complaining about it and look into it. If you have questions, ask them. We asked some very hard questions all along this trip, and uh, we came with some of those preconceived notions. And the transparency that we saw across the industry and at NCBA answered those questions, and I think largely this group got the answers that it... So what were some of your preconceived notions? My preconceived notions, I guess, were, were just that I didn't know. I didn't know how much was going into to what happens here on the hill, in Denver, in advertising, in you know investing in other cuts and, and technology to sell our project. We are a supply and demand industry. We have a large supply right now. We have to, if we're going to keep seeing the prices that we're seeing and maybe even grow those prices, we are going to have to increase demand for that product. It's just economics. Yeah, I think uh, it's a two-pronged approach to that. On the checkoff side, my question to them is, how many consumers have you talked to today about beef? And usually the answer is, well, none. And so if you're trying to promote your product, then why aren't you out talking about beef? Well, we have a checkoff program to do that for you. Um, on the policy side, when's the last time you've contacted your, your state representative or your uh, senator in, in Washington to talk about a topic that, that you complain about at home, but yet you've not contacted them? Well, we have those boots on the ground in D.C. to do that for you as well. And so I think that's probably the two questions I would ask them uh, so that maybe that just opens their eyes and then maybe start a dialogue with them about exactly what those people are doing for them each and every day. I would have to agree with both of these guys, and my thing is, is if you're not, if you're complaining, are you involved? If not, I can show you some ways to get involved. I can show you how to learn more and try and get those notions out of your head. So we need membership. So how do we use effective communication tools if you're not able to do that in person? Because I, I personally, social media rules everything, but we all know that Social media doesn't have the most correct information or sourced information out there. What maybe something you learned on this trip, or what? What are some uh, solutions uh, to actually getting that message across, producer to producer? You know, I, I shared the story. You go back to social media. I shared the story this week that I can post anything about the beef industry on my Facebook page and get 30 likes, but I can put my four-year-old boy in a pair of cowboy boots and his underwear going to the barn to feed and get 300 likes. And so that resonates with, with the people out there that don't see that Why on a daily basis. Why did you not you? That's right. I didn't post that picture. <laughs> That's a different calendar. I was behind Kentucky. the camera. <laughs> uh, but, no, it really, I mean, that resonates with consumers, uh, with, with people. When you put a child on there and you talk about it's 530 in the morning and he's going to the barn with me, he's four years old, to do the feeding um, before I take him to preschool. People don't understand that, and then they start to ask questions like, why is he going to the barn? Well, that's his choice. He wants to go. He wants to. I'm not making him do anything. And so that's that's the farm life, and that's what we've grown up in. And uh, that's the story that we, we can share that consumers latch on to. I agree. Sharing our story on Facebook, on any of our social media, as well as these amazing people like John, um, with NCBA, they are willing to answer questions. Even if we can't be in person, give them a call. They're more than willing to talk about it and tell you, or any of us will. It used to be that any person was really no more on average than three generations away 
from agriculture. That number is growing. People don't know what we're doing. They haven't seen it. They haven't come to ranches. They haven't seen or asked the questions that we need them to ask or the, to educate them on the issues that they need to be educated on. If you break us down to the very core value, what do we want? We want safe, wholesome, nutritious product for our family and ourselves to consume. We're the same as a consumer, and if we all get educated, both sides of the aisle, both ends of the world, city, rural, we, 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 we get there. Well, the biggest membership benefit at the end of the day is the advocacy on the policy issues here in Washington, D.C., and the work that is done with state affiliates. And, uh, John, you grab the microphone there. Uh, what, what would you like to add? You know, I, I think all of these answers are right, but what we have to focus on and, and what we're trying to focus on, even through tools like this, Lane, uh, is getting NCBA's story out there, helping uh, the producer audience understand what it is that we're doing for them. You know, there's there's a lot more uh, that unites us in this industry than divides us. Jennifer Houston says that all the time when she's out speaking, our, our NCBA president. I ended with that today. We have to get over these things, set aside the things we're not going to agree upon. Those are okay, but those need to be in the closet. We'll talk about those later, but we have to find a way forward as an industry, make sure that we're united, sharing a common message, because... You know, there are 750,000 of us, give or take. Um, there are 30 million consumers in the United States. We have to figure out a way to tell our story, to work together, and focus on the things that unite us so that we can be successful now and in the future. Question I have, how many people have gone through YCC over the years? You know, I think going back all the way to the beginning of the program in 1985, 1986, uh, you know, my guess is no more than 500. I think uh, it's it's probably pretty small. The classes started out pretty small. Maybe I'm underestimating that number some, but uh, not enough. You know, if we could take everybody out there, I think that everybody would understand the value. We wouldn't have these questions. Um, it's a big commitment for people. It's, it's a big ask for them to be away from their operations and their families for 10 days. Um, it, it's not nearly enough. And, and if we could take everybody, I don't think we'd have half the problems we've got. Uh, we can't do that. And so what I would say is, is that the future, you know, we're less rest with the 60 uh, folks who just graduated from this year's class. They're going to go back there. They tell 10 friends. We get 10 more people or 10 more groups uh, through, and, and we're going to be a lot better off than, than we have been. Well, with it, our friends listening to this, I encourage you to apply. Work with your state affiliates and your state cattlemen and stock growers groups to apply for this for the 2020 class because you're hearing, well, five of us that have been on this trip multiple times now. I guess I'm only two days on on this year's, but just what you can take away and how you can grow and, and uh, really uh, it helps create even more footing under that foundation that we have in the industry, but it also gives us that, that, that stronger ability to advocate and understand everything that happens in this world that affects our livestock industry. Uh, Kayla, uh, looks like you want to add something there. I was kind of on a soapbox there. You're doing awesome. <laughs> but, but guys, we've been talking just under an hour. And I guess what is one message you want to share to the individuals listening to this show right now about the trip, about how it's maybe changed your perspective, your views, or even changed your life? What's, what's one of those things? And maybe you even said it already, but what would you like to share? It's a once-in-a-lifetime experience that is eye-opening it's worth it. Um, 
you learn so much about your own industry that I think we all need to know. And the friendships that you make make it everything worth it. Uh, for me, one, I obviously want to thank all the sponsors of the YCC program for making this opportunity available. And, and without those folks, um, that 500 number would be much, much smaller um, just due to the sheer cost of the trip. So thank, thanks to all of those sponsors. Uh, the other thing is everyone on this trip now has a platform uh, to go back and tell the story about what NCBA is doing for them whether it's at the state level or just the local level, uh, but have that platform and use that platform to share with others the experiences that you've got to experience so that they, that they can live that through you and understand that a little better. And I think that's that's very, very valuable to, to educating other producers about what NCBA does for them that they don't really understand. Yeah, uh, first off, I would like to thank, thank my family for making it possible for me to be here um, anybody that uh, it, it was a hard commitment to make you look at this and you say that's 10 days that I'm gonna be away but if you could see the result before you made that decision you'd make it every time and I'm, I'm glad that they believe that and believe in in the NCBA and, and agriculture enough to uh, to make make that commitment uh, the other thing I would do is just challenge anyone listening if you have questions if you have concerns about your industry which we all do ask the doors are open this is this is a transparent organization and we are becoming a more transparent industry because the consumer wants to know and uh, we win every time if all the information gets out and uh, all your questions are answered and, and and I know a lot of people now that would be happy to answer them for you well it truly is uh, like Kayla said a, a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to, to grow to learn to make lifelong connections and uh, I know if, if you all go down to San Antonio for the 2020 cattle industry convention wouldn't miss it wouldn't miss it there you go Chisholm you will see all your classmates just how I see all of my classmates and I'm usually busy working for cattlemen to cattlemen on the TV side of things or helping uh, promote NCB on the digital side at convention, but you're always walking around and you see someone. Of course, you guys have the different pins. I have the round pin, the oval. You have uh, the newer pins that have the United more States. More attractive. Like the more attractive, I guess, as you say. But you know what? People like like the uh, older experienced as well, Chisholm. <laughs> no, uh, we're talking about the YCC pins the alumni pins that you receive it has a green gemstone in it and it's just when you're walking around the convention or any event you're encouraged to wear these ycc pins and you can see someone and ask what year did you go on ycc and you can reconnect and you can talk about what they learned what the issues were when they went through on ycc and how committed they are to their states and to the ncba as a whole it's a pretty cool feeling to get to, to see those people. So I look forward to seeing – well, Chisholm, I'll see you a few times probably. Once or twice a year. That's a lot in Montana. Mid-year's coming right up. Yeah, I'll see you next see week. In, see you in Miles City. <laughs> but as a whole, I can't wait to see you all at the next event, whether that is your state convention in Wyoming or Kentucky. Invite me down to Kentucky. I'll come down. Wyoming's is happening right now. I know so. it is. I know it is. We'll see I've at the, gotten a hard time we'll see for at the annual it. meeting, yes. maybe, yes. this winter. But it truly is a great experience, and that's the biggest thing is the people you meet that really, truly helps better yourselves. Um, 
Anything else you'd like to leave on the floor today? No, just thanks for the opportunity to let us share a story about what YCC's done for us. I really appreciate that. Well, that's the goal. I agree. To, Thank you. Is to help share everyone's story in the livestock industry story as a whole. So. Friends, thank you for joining us here for the NCBA's Cattlemen Call. I will encourage you to look at attending the 2020, 2021, 2022, whichever YCC it may be, because it truly will change your life. And it will also provide so many different opportunities for you down the road. Again, for more information on YCC and all that NCBA does for the livestock industry here in the United States, just visit ncba.org. Fill out that membership form. It will truly change your perspective and your opportunity in the livestock industry. That's all we have time today. I can't believe it's been an hour. Thank you so much to Kayla, Andy, and Chisholm, and John for joining us here today. I'm Lane Nordland, and thank you for joining us for this edition of NCBA's Cattleman's Call. Thanks for tuning in to NCBA's Cattleman's Call podcast with Lane Nordland. For more information, visit ncba.org and make sure to subscribe to the podcast today.